John Bunyan's classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress, you know that it is an allegory of the Christian life in our journey on this walk of faith. And it follows the main character, whose name is Christian. And he has a problem. He's got this burden, which represents sin, and he wants to be free of it. So he meets a man who's named Evangelist. And Evangelist tells him how he can be free of the burden of his sin. He sets him on the narrow way, which is the way of the cross. It leads to the wicked gate and ultimately to the cross and to the celestial city. And so all of Christian goes, but the problem is this. It's a long, hard journey. It's grueling, and it wears on him. And at one point, he collapses, but then he meets another man, Mr. Worldly Wise Man from the town of Carnal Policy. And Worldly Wise Man looks at Christian, collapsed on the ground, and he says, oh, no, no, this is no good. He has pity on him. He says, my boy, this is not right. He says, what, what, why are you on this road? Why are you on this path? And he tells him about evangelists. He says, oh, not evangelist. You, you can't listen to evangelists. Evangelist is, he's crazy, okay? You, you can't listen to him. He would have you travel this road, and I want you to know that this road is difficult, and it is full of hardships and general unpleasantness. You don't want this road. So fortunately, he says, there's another road. There's another way to be free of the burden that you're carrying on your back. And so Mr. Worldly Wise Man takes Christian off the narrow way that leads to the cross and to the celestial city, and he points him on this other path. He says, take this path, and it will lead you to a town, the town of morality. And he says, once you get to the town of morality, you'll find two men there, and I am absolutely certain they will be able to relieve you of that burden of yours. And those men's names were legality and civility. And so all Christian goes. Being enticed by this other way, he leaves the narrow way. He leaves the way of the cross. And he thinks that he can find relief from the burden of his sin in morality, legality, and civility. That was enough for him to leave the narrow path. You see, Jesus told us last week, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said there are two paths in life, right? There's the narrow way, and there's the broad way. There's the way of the world which is easy, it's appealing, it's enticing, and many people travel it. But it leads to destruction. And then there's this other way, this narrow way, which is a difficult path. It's a path full of hardships. It's a path that very few find, but it is the path that leads to life. You see, Jesus was saying that, that what we really need is that true inner whole person righteousness, but unfortunately many people will be content with outward displays of religion. And you might be thinking this morning, well, hey, Jesus said few there are that find it, but praise the Lord, I did. I'm good, Right? I found the path that he said was so hard to find. I'm walking it, so I must be good from here on out. And that's exactly why Jesus concludes his sermon in this way. Because he wants us to understand that that's not the case. That just because you found the path doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay on the path. He wants us to understand that there are going to be distractions along the way. There are going to be hardships and difficulties along the way. You're going to encounter people along the way who seem like they're trying to help you and point you along, when in reality they're pointing you to an entirely different path away from the narrow way. 
Jesus knew that all of this was coming. And so listen, the whole point that Bunyan was making in Christian's encounter with Mr. Worldly Wise Man is actually the same point Jesus is making as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. You see, because we will face many temptations to leave the kingdom path, we must resolve to stay the course. You understand that, church? As you walk this narrow way, as you walk this narrow path of the kingdom that leads to glory and to the very presence of God Himself, you are going to face countless temptations to leave this path and find another way, find an easier way. And so you must resolve today to stay the course. Now, it's easy to say that, right? But, but what does that actually look like? How do we resolve to stay the course. How how is that possible? That's the question I want us to consider together. If it's true that we're going to face these temptations, and it's true that this is what we can expect on this path, then how do we actually resolve to stay the course? And I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says the first thing is we need to pay attention to the guides that we're following along the way. Notice what he says in verse 15 there. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, I promised myself I wasn't going to preach my whole sermon on that one verse, and I try to keep that promise this morning. (laughs) But you know that a prophet is one who is supposed to proclaim the revelation of God truthfully, right? A prophet is supposed to exhort people to follow the way of God, to, to walk in accordance with God's truth. And so the aim of a false prophet is to deceive you. The aim of a false prophet is to deceive you into believing things that aren't from God. They want to lead people away from God, and they want to point you to a different path that is not in accordance with God's word and God's truth. And Jesus says he knew there were going to be a rise in false prophets as the years came. That after his death and resurrection, many false prophets were going to try to come and deceive his people. And he says, listen to me, they are wolves. They don't look like wolves, do they? They look like sheep. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves who want nothing more than to decimate the church and and absolutely lead God's people away from the narrow path towards a different way. And Jesus tells us we need to beware of them. I want you to understand this, church. Listen, just listen to me here. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're going to encounter teaching that sounds nice, that sounds appealing, that is attractive. You're going to encounter teaching that makes you feel good about yourself. It gives you the warm fuzzies and you feel like it's a spiritual experience. Jesus says you're going to encounter this, but it is false teaching. It is deceptive and it is dangerous. And if you don't know how to identify it, you could be led astray by it. False prophets are people who openly contradict and try to redefine God's word. I know what it says, but but today it means something different, right? Well, I know what it clearly and plainly says, but that's just because back in those days, this and this and that. Well, I know that this is what the Word of God says, but we've evolved as a people. Our culture has come along. We have progressed as a people, so we don't need to follow that. The Bible needs to, you know, get in with today's culture. They will always try to openly contradict and redefine God's Word and make it mean something that it was never intended to mean in the first place. 
And you would think, right, if that's what they're doing, they must be pretty easy to spot then, right? But the reason they're so difficult to spot is because they look like sheep. And oftentimes they sound like sheep. I mean, for instance, if you want to just know real quick, like, I have never once been afraid or worried or concerned that anyone in our church was going to be led astray by a Hindu, a Buddhist, or a Muslim. Never once have I had that concern at all. But let me tell you, every single week I make it a point to pray that if a Jehovah's Witness were to come to your door or the door of anyone in our church, that God would give our church member eyes to see and hearts to understand. Because in my mind, Jehovah's Witnesses are far more dangerous than any Muslim you're going to encounter. You encounter a Muslim, you immediately recognize that is not Christianity, that is not the Bible, I'm okay. But a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, that's a different story, isn't it? Because they look enough like a sheep. They sound enough like a sheep. They talk enough like a sheep. They, they talk about God the Father. They talk about Jehovah. They talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and our need to believe in Him. They even use the Bible. They'll even use KJV if they're not using their own made-up translation. They'll even use the KJV and they come to you and they say all these things and it sounds just right enough to lead true sheep astray. Those are the dangers that we face, church. There are people who are going to try to point you and act like they're leading you closer to God when in reality they're leading you farther away from God. And there are even more, far more dangerous wolves in our world today, are there not? There are wolves today who know exactly what they're doing who know that they are twisting Scripture, who know that they are preying on people, who know that they're doing it and they're feeding their own appetites by taking advantage of people who have no idea that they're being taken advantage of. Amen? Do y'all not see that in our world today? All over our world today, you see these wolves. They are like Mr. Worldly Wise Man who tell Christians that there's no need to walk the narrow, difficult path because there's another way. There's an easier way. And so many Christians fall for it. And they follow these wolves. They always contradict God, though. I mean, Jesus says in His Word, in this life you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Well, the modern wolves write books called Your Best Life Now. Big white smile on the front cover, too. Your Best Life Now. Well, I'll just say this to you and then we'll move on because, again, this isn't the whole sermon. But if you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. If heaven and life in the new heavens and the new earth cannot be any better than even the greatest life lived on earth, what are we doing? How pathetic is that? That the God of the universe can't create a place that's better than even the best life lived here on earth? If you're living your best life now, I've got bad news for you. Jesus says in His Word, deny yourself. You listen to these modern wolves and they teach you, believe in yourself. Listen to your heart, even though the Word of God says, no, no, no. Your heart is deceptive and wicked above all else. Don't listen to your heart. It will lead you astray. But they say, listen to your heart. They, they, they say that you can, you can just follow your heart and do all these type of things. Jesus says in His Word, blessed are the poor. Modern wolves write books called the Laws of Prosperity. 
And people fall for it every time. Let just a little side note for you. If you're in the Christian bookstore, if you're ordering a Christian book, if the author is on the cover and they have a picture of themselves on the cover, nine times out of ten, stay away from that book, okay? Now, if it's a biography about someone else and they have that person on the cover, that's different. But if you're in a Christian bookstore and you see the author's name and then a picture of that author and they're smiling, their big white smile, just don't pick up the book. Like, no reputable Christian author puts themselves on the cover as the picture, okay? That's just a free one for you. But wolves will always have you focus on yourself rather than on God. Wolves will always focus on your potential as a person rather than on God's power. Wolves will prioritize religious activities and outward actions rather than our need for Jesus Christ and His righteousness and the Holy Spirit's transforming power. Wolves will always focus on signs and wonders and the miraculous. Have you noticed this? They're not content to just preach the gospel Even though that's what Paul told Timothy, preach the gospel. Continue preaching the gospel in and out of season. Preach the gospel. They're not content with that. They want the miraculous. They want the signs. They want the wonders. Folks, are we not content with the life-giving, saving power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, should we not be devoted to the gospel? No one's going to be saved by a sign and a wonder, but they will be saved through the preaching of the word, will they not? This is what the wolves do. They will always try to make your faith and your walk with God easy rather than encouraging you to depend on Christ and lean on Christ through the difficulties of walking the narrow way. These are the dangers you will face on the narrow path. Jesus says there are going to be guides who will lead you to a new path. And I want you to understand something, church. You know I'm big on this. False teachers, they need to be named and I normally have a whole list of names here, but you can just see two, two, two weeks ago I did it. So don't worry about it. Right? I don't have to do it again. But I will if you want me to. They need to be named. They need to be called out. They need to be called to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something else before we start nodding our head and feeling too good about ourselves. False teachers are an indictment upon the church. Here's what I mean. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Did you notice what it said, church? Does Paul immediately go after the false teachers and the false prophets? No, he says it's the people who accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, the reason that we have so many false prophets and false teachers today, the reason that they are so popular today, the reason they sell more books than anyone else today, the reason so many go to their churches and their churches are packed today, the reason they're so effective today is because they're scratching our itch. We might not act like, oh, we we might say, yeah, they're false, they're doing this, they're doing that. They're telling us exactly what we want to hear. They're scratching our itch. We've got it. And we have found teachers who will tell us exactly what we want to hear. They are an indictment upon the people to whom they are preaching. Because here's what I know. The Bible says that we all have a little bit of that sin still dwelling in us, don't we? That indwelling sin that Paul calls us to crucify and put to death. 
in our innermost being, that sin says, I want an easier way. I don't want this hard way. I don't want pain. I don't want suffering. I don't want the difficulty of the narrow way. I want a different way, an easier way. And the false teachers say, I've got one for you. They are an indictment upon us as a church. And so we need to know how to spot them. And thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly how we can spot them. Notice what he says there in verses 16 through 20. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. You see, Jesus is saying their fruit might not give them away at first, but that's just because fruit takes time to mature, right? Like, I mean, anybody who does any sort of gardening or or farming knows this. You plant a bunch of stuff, everything starts breaking through the surface. Hard to tell if that's a blade of grass or some corn coming up, and so you don't really want to pull it, right? Like, they all kind of look the same when they start to break through. So what do you have to do? Give it time. Let it grow. Because eventually, the fruit will prove what that plant actually is. And Jesus is saying that even though their fruit might not give them away at first, eventually their true nature will reveal itself. And so we don't look at these false teachers and these false prophets and we don't say things like, well, hey, listen, they're, they're teaching the Bible. They're in church. They're all these things. That's external. Haven't we already talked about that, church? Can't, can't any atheist do those things? Can't, can't any unbeliever stand in a church and preach the Bible or hold a Bible and do religious activities? Of course they can. So we don't look to those things. We say, is this person growing in conformity to Christ? Is this person decreasing so that God would increase? Is this person marked by humility and gentleness and peace and patience, kindness? Is this person rejecting all that is hypocritical? Are they committed to prayer? Those are the things that we look for that reveal a person's true nature. Time will tell whether they are a good tree or a bad tree. So this is what Jesus wants us to understand this morning. In order to stay the course, we must resolve to use godly discernment. We need it in our world today, do we not, church? We must resolve to use godly discernment. Because not everything that boss is a sheep. And not everyone who claims to be from God and claims to speak for God is sincere. Just because someone preaches the Bible and teaches in church and claims to be a Christian does not make them a true sheep. And if we're not careful, and if we don't use godly discernment, we're going to be led astray by these guys. We're going to follow them to a different path away from the kingdom path. So I really want you to use this discernment Throughout the week, when you're listening to sermons by someone else throughout the week, use that godly discernment. When you're going to the Christian bookstore and you're about to pick up that book, use this godly discernment. Check the front cover, see if there are pictures on it. Key giveaway. When you're listening to podcasts throughout the week, use this godly discernment. Listen to me. I want everybody to listen to this. When you're sharing things on social media, use this godly discernment. I can't tell you how many times I've seen so-called professing Christians share posts that are so blatantly heretical and are come from a false teacher that it makes my mind spin. That's why I shouldn't be on social media. But 
We need this godly discernment for them too, because not only do we not want to be led astray ourselves, we don't want to lead other people astray, correct? And the best way to avoid being led astray by false teachers is to know Christ and His Word so intimately that you can spot a counterfeit immediately, correct? I shared this idea recently on one of our podcasts. I said, listen, you know, the best way to spot a counterfeit check is to just know what real authentic checks look like, right? The more you know what the original looks like, the better you can spot the counterfeit. And so in the same way, church, the, 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 the best way to avoid being led astray by false teachers is to know what the authentic says, right? If you know Jesus and his word so intimately, you will be able to spot a counterfeit immediately because you know what the authentic thing looks like. So the call to use godly discernment is really a call to know Christ and His Word and know them well. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to stay the course. And so he says, listen, you've got to be aware. There's going to be some false teachers, false guides along the way. They're going to seek to lead you astray. But I want you to understand, He also says that we need to uh, pay attention to, to the other things on this way because not only can we be led astray by false teachers, but we can be led astray by false assurances. And I want you to notice what he says here in verses 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now these are some of the scariest verses in the entire Bible, are they not? And as we talk about these verses, here's what I don't want. I don't want you sitting there thinking, man, I sure wish so-and-so had been here this morning. Or, I'm so glad so-and-so is here this morning. No one look around, but just don't be thinking that either. Because these verses call us to look at our own hearts. And our own assurances. So rather than thinking about who you wish was here or who you're glad is here, think about yourself and examine yourself this morning as we've considered these. Because I want you to understand something about these verses. They describe people who 100% genuinely believed that when they died and got to glory, they would be welcomed in. They were fully convinced of it. Anybody else in here fully convinced that's going to happen to you? You're going to be welcomed into glory? Just me, okay, all right, that's fine. Let's just keep preaching, we'll see what happens. They thought, they were fully convinced, when I die and I stand before Jesus, he's going to welcome me in. And Jesus says, I never knew you. You know how heartbreaking it would be to hear those words? To spend your life thinking you knew Jesus and you loved Jesus and you did all these things and then at the end he said, I never knew you. Did you notice something else about these verses? Did you notice that Jesus didn't deny any one of their claims? They come to him and say, they say, Lord, Lord, listen, did, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Notice that Jesus does not say, actually, no, you didn't do any of those things. He doesn't deny a single claim that they make. And, and if you want me to just put this in perspective for you, let me just ask you this. When is the last time that you prophesied in the name of the Lord? 
Okay? When's the last time that you cast out a demon in the name of the Lord? When's the last time that you did many mighty works in the name of the Lord? See, this is what I want you to understand. These are people who were outdoing most of us in religious and spiritual matters. Correct? Admittedly? Yeah? And yet they're turned away. People who are doing more than us turned away. My question is why? What's the problem here? I think it's pretty clear that the problem is that they never actually knew Jesus. And worse, they were never actually known by Jesus. They were content to go about doing the works of Christ, but they ignored the person of Christ completely. It actually reminded me of the story of Mary and Martha. Maybe you remember this from Luke chapter 10. It'll be on the screen if not. But this is what the Bible says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So can can I be honest with you about something this morning, church? I think like Martha, many of us get distracted with much serving and don't take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. I mean, we busy ourselves, right? Anybody else in here busy? Or is it just me? Someone else is busy, right? You're busy with work, busy with hobbies, activities, busy with kids and grandkids. We're busy, right? And many of us go above and beyond. We do extra good works on top of that. We we volunteer. We, We help out at church. We do, listen to me, I'm not denying this. We do legitimately good things. But the problem is we can become so consumed with doing those things that we forget to commune with the one that we claim to do them for. Right? That's a quick way to get off course, church. That's a quick way to leave the narrow way and go back to the easy way. Is it not? Jesus is saying here, and I want you to hear me say this and think about yourself. Jesus is saying here, it's entirely possible to teach sound doctrine, to believe sound doctrine, to oppose evil in the kingdom of darkness, to participate in many good works, and you can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can volunteer, and still go to hell. This is why we don't need to look around. This is why we need to look inward. Because Jesus says, you can do all of those things, all of the things that many of you are doing every single week, and it is possible to do absolutely all of that and still go to hell and be turned away at the end and Jesus say, I never knew you. So here's what I think he wants us to understand. In order to stay the course, we must resolve to cling to Christ. In order to stay the course, we must resolve To cling to Christ. In other words, church, listen to me. Don't let your service be disconnected from the Savior. 
Amen? Don't let your service be disconnected from the Savior. Don't don't prioritize religious activities over your personal relationship with Jesus. Sit at the Savior's feet. Grow in your relationship with Him. Get to know Him. Get to know His heart. Learn from Him. Grow in your trust of Him. Don't just do something. Sit there. Sit at His feet. Because I want to tell you something this morning. To know and be known by God is the greatest pursuit of our lives. To know and be known by God is the greatest pursuit of our lives. There is nothing greater than that. And I like the way J.I. Packer said it. He said, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. What in humans gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of Himself. So church, if you want to stay the course, you must resolve to cling to Christ. to to sit at His feet, to know and be known by Him, to prioritize your relationship with Him, to cling to Him with everything you have. Because if you do that, you will stay the course. Nothing and no one, no person on earth or under the earth or anywhere else will be able to take you away from the one whom your soul loves. And so we resolve today to cling to Christ. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I want you to stay the course. So I need you to know you've got to watch out for these false guides. You've got to watch out for these false assurances. And the last thing he tells us to beware of is foolishness that would cause us to walk away. Notice what he says there in these last verses, verses 24 to 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, you have a picture of two houses here, right? And from the outside, they look pretty much the same. It's kind of like a lot of the neighborhoods that are being made these days where every single house looks the exact same, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. These two houses from the outside, they look virtually identical. The only thing that really distinguishes between the two houses is how they hold up in the midst of the storm. See, if you ever uh, look at pictures of houses in Thailand, you'll notice something interesting is that almost all of them are built on stilts. Almost every house in Thailand built on stilts. It's because they are wise and they know how to plan ahead. So if you, as an American, were to move to Thailand and build a house over there the way that we build houses here, they would laugh at you and think that you're foolish because they know about monsoon season. They know about the flooding that's going to take place. They know the damage that those storms can have on houses. And so because they know what to expect, are you tracking church? They plan ahead. So that when those storms do come, their houses stand. See, I want you to understand something here. Jesus is saying, storms will come. Did you hear me? I mean, and I don't mean like, did you just physically hear me? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, in this life, storms will come. And so we don't need to be surprised when they do come. 
When those storms do come, we don't need to think it's because we're being punished or because God's angry with us or because we've done something wrong or that God is out to get us. We don't need to be surprised or think any of that because the Bible plainly teaches that in this life you will have suffering and you will have hardships and it's through many difficulties and trials that we must enter the kingdom of God. Storms will come. And so, because I love you, I want to just tell you what I've seen. I've seen many men and women who claim to be Christians. They do read their Bible. They go to church. They pray. They sing. They do all the things. And they think that their faith is secure. They built this house of faith, and it's secure. But then a storm came. Something happened to them that they did not expect. Their spouse left them. Their parent died. They lost a child. Their house burned down. Find out that their child's been diagnosed with cancer. The storm hit. And the house of faith that they thought was so secure came tumbling down. See, the sad reality is for many of us, all it would take is one bad storm to get us to walk away from the narrow way and find a different way. For many, all it would take is one bad storm to send us running back to sin again. But let me ask you something, church. If a storm causes us to run to sin as the solution rather than the Savior, what does that say about the foundation of our faith? Built on some pretty shaky sand, don't you think? You see, here's the thing. Storms will expose whether or not our faith is built upon the foundation of our comfort, the foundation of our success, the foundation of our happiness, the foundation of our prosperity, the foundation of our health. Because if those things go away, and so does your faith, there's your foundation. Right? Whatever sends you away from the faith, that was actually the foundation of your faith. Jesus doesn't want that for us. He says every house of faith that is not built upon the rock of Christ and His Word and His salvation will be exposed by the storms of life and cause many to walk away. And so listen to me this morning. In order to stay the course, we must resolve to keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward, church. Because our faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It is long. It is grueling. It will wear on you. And there will be times when you feel like I cannot even keep going one more step. Which is why the Bible says in Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, the call to keep pressing forward is a call to know the Word of God and believe the Word of God and obey the Word of God. Because if you do that, then when the storm hits, you're going to be prepared. Because you're going to know it was expected. Because that's what the Word of God says. And you believe the Word of God. You'll know that your source of refuge and comfort is the Savior, not sin, because that's what the Bible says. And you believe the Bible. And you'll know that your only hope of persevering and enduring that storm is to cling to the rock of your salvation. Just as the psalmist said in Psalm 31, incline your ear to me 
Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You see, church, here's what I know. If you are a true Christian this morning, Jesus has set you on the narrow path. And it is hard. It is difficult. Few there are that find it, and even fewer continue to walk it. And as you walk this path, Jesus says, you're going to face countless temptations in this life to leave this path and find another way. Find an easier way. And so we must resolve right now, today, to stay the course. He says, so when we encounter these these false teachers and these false guides who try to point us to another way, we resolve to use godly discernment and know Christ and His Word so well that we can spot a counterfeit immediately. When, When we are busy in ourselves with religious activities and good works and we begin to look to those things as sources of assurance and comfort, we resolve to cling to Christ alone, to sit at His feet and to prioritize our relationship with Him. And when the storms of this life come, and they will come, right church? We resolve to keep pressing forward for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Don't be deceived. Don't be distracted. And don't be disillusioned. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep pressing forward. Amen? Let's pray.